The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live this morning with Dr. Doreen Gray. For a moment there, I was like, what happened? I'm normally on the other side. Uh, and then it just flipped. Um, but we're here with Dr. Doreen Grampiche for the our favorite segment of the week, Ask Dr. Doreen. She's going to be answering your questions in just a couple of seconds, but I'm so happy to be here, to be here with her. In fact, I'm in a ridiculously unexplainable good mood, uh, but we're taking it. <laughs> there's a lot to be not happy about and I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be here with you Dr. Grampiche. I want to say briefly that Dr. Grampiche is the true uh, expert I think in the field right now that can give us the best answers uh, because she's been working in this field for over 30 years. In fact I think it's much closer to the other decade but I, I hate to tell on you because you don't there's nothing about your skin that would tell anybody that. So I hate to give you away, but she's been working with individuals on the spectrum from very early ages up through senior citizens. And she also has an eye to helping the entire family to uh, look at these individuals and, and see what they need to grow and reach their highest potential. So I, I adore her. Um, she has been instrumental in our family's life and in my son's life. And I'm going to, you know, brag on him and her later on in the show. But welcome, Dr. Grampy Shea. We're so glad you're here. Good morning, Shannon. It's always a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much. All your kind words. Well, it's, it's such a delight. Year, it's a new year. We're going to keep on doing. Yeah. It is. And our topic this week, you know, we always have a topic every week and our topic this week is restart, renew, uh, you know, this reset, reset the button. And um, I have decided, you know, because you know what Abraham Lincoln said that most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And so I decided somewhere in the last, I don't know, week that I was going to pretend that this is a spa vacation. Oh, nice in which I'm working from time to time. I'm like, well, if I just look at it that way, it's a spa vacation. You know, if somebody had said, you know, uh, would you like to take a year off? And during that year, you don't have to focus on grocery shopping. You'll do everything online and just take a year off and take care of yourself. I would be like, yippee. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, I'm pretending that it's a spa vacation and I'm thrilled with my spa vacation. Uh, so there we are. Now, uh, but we know that many of you are not on a spa vacation, mentally or otherwise, and that you've got a lot of issues that you're dealing with. That's why Dr. Grampiche is here to help you to get to the good stuff. Believe me, been there, done. I was where you are, a lot of you, not entirely, but on my own journey with my family and my son. Um, and we want to help you to get to the good stuff. So 
this show is meant to be interactive. We are live right now. This is Wednesday, the 13th of January. If you've been watching things on television, take a respite from them. <laughs> Come and be here with us. And uh, so you can be writing in your questions. Right now we're live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Periscope. Just write your question in on those platforms. We're saying good morning to Oom and Amanda. So glad that you are here. And uh, if you want to uh, shout out, please write in on whatever platform that you're watching right now. And uh, if you want to watch us later on, because some of you have, are working or doing whatever, we're available on podcasts on all major podcasting sites as a free download. That's iTunes, Apple Music, uh, Google Music, Deezer. We're on um, iHeartRadio, like Spotify, wherever it is, you'll find us there. And if you don't find us somewhere that you like to watch that where you get free podcasts, please let us know because Traven is, uh, uh, he's like this amazing sleuth where he finds all the places to be. We're on Ghana, you guys. So find us in those places and tune in and listen to the show in podcasts. You can still ask questions. In fact, if you have a question when we're not live, go to autism-live.com, click the chat button. A lot of the times our starter questions are taken directly from there. And Dr. Gramsci, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump right in here with one of our starter questions, if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. Of course, please go right ahead. I would love to know how to handle a child who gets into a meltdown because we refuse to give him chips or anything that is not good for him. We are tired of giving in to him just to keep the peace. He is verbal and turning 25 soon. Oh, that's so difficult. I wish he was turning five um, because it's of course a lot harder when, when our children get older and, and these habits have become ingrained and now they're also much bigger um, and can object. But the what I always like to go back to is just trying to give a very brief explanation and I hope it'll help other parents as well brief explanation of, of what happens when a child has a tantrum or actually what happens whenever we give in, right? Whether it's a tantrum or uh, yelling or hitting or any kind of challenging behavior and we give in. Um, you, if you, for a moment, if you can just think of uh, things from the child's perspective, uh, I scream, I tantrum, I hit, I yell, and I get what I want. Anything, any behavior that is followed by a reward will increase. Any behavior that is followed by a reward will increase. Um, that is the first basic premise of operant conditioning. Um, if you want something to increase, reward it. And that is essentially what has been happening. So every time he has tantrumed, uh, you've given in. By giving in, you are rewarding him, right? You're saying the tantrum works. You tantrum, I give you what you want. And so you need to stop doing that uh, and as soon as you possibly can. And honestly, it, I know it's, it's a very scary thing when your child is 25, so you should probably have support and help before you do this because uh, I don't know how... Uh, severe these tantrums are. Um, you, the parents noted that this is a high-functioning individual, so possibly not extremely severe, but I would still 
suggest that you have others there to help you. Uh, because when a 25 year old, uh, if you cut off the reinforcer, in other words, if, if you stop giving in uh, for, to a 25 year old, they might get very aggressive. I don't know, because at this point, the, the individual will be frustrated and they will be asking themselves, this worked for 25 years. How come it's not working anymore? And what happens is what we call an extinction burst. So the minute you stop attending to or giving in, the minute you cut off the reinforcer, the individual's behavior accelerates. It gets worse before it dies off. So there, there's this extinction burst. Extinction means you're no longer attending to that behavior. Um, and so basically the individuals think about it from the person's point of view. They're thinking, this worked before. How come it's not working? Let me just yell louder, let me scream a little bit harder, let me hit, let me do whatever it is so that they will give in again. And so it gets a little bit worse and you have to stay with it. You have to continue not giving in, at which point gradually it starts to get less and less. And then uh, the individual realizes that this isn't working for me anymore. Um, and then they will find another behavior. And that's where it's more important for you to come in and actually model or prompt a new behavior. In other words, I will not give in to you when you scream and cry, but I will give in to you when you ask nicely. And that's the, that's the way it goes, is that you ignore or do not give in to, to challenging behaviors, but you heavily reward appropriate behaviors. And again, it's a lot easier when the child is younger. It's a lot harder when this pattern of behavior has gone on for a long time. And believe me, I know it is very, very difficult for parents. I myself had a very difficult time with this when my children were younger. It, 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 at any time in life, it's hard. I mean, think about it. Sometimes uh, our spouses might tantrum, you know, and giving in is, is an easier way to deal with things. But in the long run, it's a very, very difficult thing. Okay, we have an amazing opportunity right now because we have had one of our viewers who has identified previously as being on the autism spectrum, who's an adult, who's incredibly verbal and uh, uh, has written in with the flip side of this question. And they said, hi, Dr. Doreen, my question is about diets. My mother is trying to force me to change my eating habits and I'm not happy about that yelling matches have occurred, et cetera. I know that it's good for my health, uh, but my, uh, my, my liver is, is I, I think as I know that it's not good for my health, but my liver is diseased and has problems. How can I, as an autistic person, handle it perfectly? So we've got both sides of this equation here. So now yeah. talking to the person on the spectrum, what do you want to say to that? That's wonderful. And welcome, and it's nice to be able to communicate with someone who's on the spectrum. I always learn from individuals who are experiencing this. So uh, I guess if what I wanna say is sometimes we feel that we don't wanna do what's right uh, because someone else is forcing us to do it. Um, you being such an, a high functioning individual, I think you need to take control of this yourself. Um, I think you need to understand, and, and maybe that's what you're saying here, 
how eating uh, foods that are unhealthy will have a negative impact on your health over time. Now, one of the things that is for all of us, it's a lesson, is that often we do things that give us a reward short term, but in the long term are not good for us. Eating unhealthy foods is one of those things. Uh, you know, so you're eating something, it feels really good right now, but over time it's damaging your liver or causing other issues for you. So uh, this is the time to take control of it. First, I want you to be convinced about that yourself. If you truly believe that eating unhealthy stuff is something you want to get away from, if you agree with that, then do it in a way that works for you. It doesn't have to be uh, all or none. It doesn't have to be an immediate cutoff of everything that you like, no. What you do is you list all the things that you like on a piece of paper and, it, and then ask your mom or someone else to help you make a green mark on the ones that are healthy and a red mark on the ones that are unhealthy. And then every week, replace one of the red ones with a green one. Just take, take your time, do it over a period of months and gradually give up those foods that are unhealthy. But make sure you replace them with something that you also like. Now, sometimes in the beginning, when it has to do with food, we don't really like the healthy foods. A lot of people will say, I prefer to have cake instead of fruit let's say. But if you stay with it for a little while, you'll realize that if you give up cake for a little while, like let's say a month, then when you come back and you have cake, you'll feel pretty groggy. You won't feel very good because now your body is healthy and it doesn't want that junk anymore. When you're in the middle of it, your body is craving all this junk, right? And always remind yourself, and also, by the way, if you have a day when you've done really, really well and most of your foods are green foods, the ones that are healthy, then reward yourself in some other way. Find a reward that has nothing to do with food. Um, find an activity that has nothing to do with food. Try to keep yourself feeling rewarded by doing those other things. Sometimes when we eat unhealthy foods, it's because we are looking for a reinforcer. We're looking for a reward. We haven't found it in anything else. Um, so I think that's my advice for this person. I, I love that. And I, I just wanna send everybody a hug because I think whether you're on a spectrum or, or not on the spectrum, one of the things I've learned from you, Dr. Grampiche, is that food is a primary reinforcer. Yep. That we it to other things. And I'm a living example of that. And, you know, if you've been watching, we've been doing this show now for where this will be our, we'll be starting our 10th year um, in the fall of doing this show. And you probably have watched my weight go up and down a few times. And so food is an issue for me. And um, I just, I want to send everybody a hug. It's really hard, Very hard. Um, to, to get into a place where you're eating healthily and staying eating healthily. On my spa vacation this year, I'm very proud of the fact that I've lost over 30 pounds. Wow, um, amazing. But I still have a long way to go because there was a long period of time when you know food became my reward for everything. 
just being honest, because, you know, I like to keep it honest here. But I will tell you that um, this just this morning, I was thinking about the fact that I'm a big nighttime eater, or I was, and that for six months, I haven't been eating after seven o'clock at night. And now I can't even imagine how gross I would feel if I did. Wow. Um, and and so I think, as Dr. Grampiche was saying, it takes time because the you know what the reinforcer is so far removed yeah. from being healthy, especially if your if your weight is okay and it's just for your liver's sake, because you can't look at your liver every day and go, gosh, I see that that improvement and it's worthwhile. Okay. So I encourage you to uh, play this back and listen to Dr. Grampiche's advice. There are also all kinds of programs out there now that. I mean, depending on how you like to mask it, Weight Watchers does a thing where you have points and you keep track of the foods by points. Noom has a whole thing that's very similar to what Dr. Grampiche was using, and it's ABA. All Noom is is ABA. I don't know if everybody realizes that. Um, And they try to give you reinforcers as you go along. All of those things cost, but most of your health providers, if you go to your insurance, they'll give you a free app to do what Weight Watchers and Noom do in a slightly different way and a way to track your progress. And they'll reward you with points and things like that uh, to buy stuff from their store because it makes sense for them. We all wanna be healthier. So I sort of love that we got to hear the two sides of it though, from the parent point of view of arguing with your child and then adult child, and then uh, what to do for an adult. So I kind of love that. But we have a, a, a desperate mom who has written in And she says, I have a question for Dr. Grampiche. My son is 4.8 years old and has been having 30 hours of ABA therapy for nine months now. He is speaking small sentences, but he gets random bouts of laughter, which are very difficult to control. We are treating yeast as well. Please help me, desperate mom. And she says, "Uh, should I ignore it or respond when he's doing the laughter? Yeah. So that's, um, and I appreciate that you wrote that you are treating yeast as well, because that's where I would go first. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times when you see kind of this random laughter, almost as if the individual is drunk, um, it ends up being yeast. So I'm glad that you're treating it. Please keep in touch, uh, frequent contact with your physician, because Sometimes one antifungal medication has no effect on the child and another does. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people who do really well on Nystatin and then some people who say Nystatin did nothing for my child and I have to go on Diflucan. You gotta talk to your physician and make sure it's, uh, the yeast levels are, are being reduced. Um, that being said, in the meantime, you ignore it. You do not, as a behaviorist, if you start to talk about it or respond or address it in any way, there's a likelihood that it will go up. It's important that you don't allow the bouts of laughter to delay the treatment, the ABA. And make sure all of your staff know that, or people who are working with him or as you, sometimes our kids realize that if I do something silly, it buys me more time. And so just if you have to kind of keep the speed up by maneuvering him through whatever it is you asked, do that, but don't address the laughter itself. And I would love to know what you're doing to treat the yeast. If you are doing, um, you know, a, a, a drug treatment, or if you're just trying to do it dietarily, 
I can tell you that we we battled with yeast for many years and we would get it semi under control and then, you know, we would lose our grip on it. So there were several times that we had to cycle back. Um, and it, it became clear to me that in our case, and all cases are different, right? Because each one of our kiddos is their own ecosystem. But it became clear to me that for us, for a period of time, we had to not, sugar had to be gone completely from his diet, as well as artificial colors and flavors. But we had to limit the amount of fruit intake that he had as well, and the amount of carb intake. That did not mean that we put him totally on a, you know, crazy keto, like no uh, carbs, but, um, you know, it, it was, there was a, it was a lot of work for a couple of years, but we saw that it would make a huge difference, um, that he would be able to focus when we had the yeast under control. So, um, we just look away. She says, he, uh, he says to himself, stop laughing, but then he continues. They are doing diet. Also nice Stanton. Okay. So, couple of things on that feedback. As I said, just make sure the nice statin is working for him. Nice statin is extremely uh, light antifungal medication. You can give nice statin to one month old babies. In fact, we do when they have thrush. But so what I want to suggest is two things. One is, um, so make sure you talk to your physician, first of all, about the medication and make sure it's working. Uh, but more importantly, if he's saying to himself, stop laughing, that means someone has said that to him, which is not what I recommend you do. As I said, do not address the laughing. Nobody should actually say to him, stop laughing. And also you should not look away because by looking away, he is getting a delay in the treatment or the program. So please don't do that either keep working through whatever it is as it pretend the, the laughter never happened. Just pretend like it's not happening at all. Keep moving on, move forward. If he laughs instead of answering a question that you're asking him, then go about your life and come back and answer the question, ask the question again. If he laughs instead of uh, doing something that you just asked him to do, physically maneuver him to actually do the thing you asked him to do. Act like the laughter is not happening. Okay. Stephanie would like to know, how can adults who are diagnosed with autism as adults learn social skills? Also, are there resources available for those who are diagnosed as, as adults? In my research, it seems like if you were diagnosed as an adult, your diagnosis is less legitimate. That breaks my heart. Yeah, it does. It, 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 I understand it, and it is. Um, it is true. I would say you're right, and I'll tell you why people don't take it as seriously. There's, I think, two reasons. First of all, one is that if you are diagnosed as an adult, by definition, that means that it, you don't have a very severe case. Because if you did. Uh, someone would have noticed it earlier in childhood, right? So in that sense, you know, there is a big difference uh, when, you, when this is a huge spectrum and you have on the highest functioning level, you have an adult who has social issues and therefore does fall on the spectrum. But on this side of the other end of the spectrum, you have, let's say a child who cannot even communicate his or her needs. And so that's the, the more severe 
uh, portion of the spectrum. And our hope, of course, is that all the folks on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the more severe side will gradually, with and the help of all interventions, especially ABA, move towards the lighter side of the spectrum, right? And that's what we hope to accomplish. Uh, for you as an adult, I understand how it feels because you're still struggling with certain things and you want people to take notice of that and understand that. Um, the other unfortunate thing is that there are people right now, believe it or not, who uh, pretend to have these issues. Um, I've actually had a couple of people try to get a diagnosis from me and I would not give them the diagnosis simply because they had other issues going on, not autism, but for instance, they had social anxiety. Um, and that, is a, that in itself is a very important disorder and problem to get, get a hold of and handle, but it isn't ASD. So now going back to your original question, which is how do you get help for it? It's just like anything else. I want you to look at it like anything else. Let's say someone as an adult has a problem understanding, I don't know, math or uh, balancing their checkbook or uh, driving or whatever it is. You specifically focus and try to do work on that particular area. Now, I will tell you that we have, and Shannon, you often say this, we have um, listed all the different ways that we work with social skills in our skills curriculum. And I really wanna to recommend to you that you look at our skills program, our skills curriculum, it's online. So uh, www.skillsforautism.com. In fact, feel free to even call the skills uh, company and tell them your situation. Um, there is a particular version of skills that we built years ago. I don't know if it's out there right now, but it was actually only the advanced programs. So they included social skills, cognitive skills, executive functioning skills. And those are probably the areas of our lessons, of our curriculum that you wanna take a look at. Just go through them, just go through the questionnaires or go through those lessons and see if any of them pertain to you. Um, whenever I look through skills, there's like, especially in the executive functioning section, I'm like, oh, it's a good plan. I gotta do that myself. And there's a lot of stuff in there that's helpful. If you don't find things that are helpful, then you need to go to the adult version of skills, which also has a social section, but I'm pretty certain you'll be able to find some things that are useful to you. And those are lessons and those are just, it's like, you know, practice this activity. Uh, first rehearse it on your own and then uh, find someone who is going to engage with you and then you can practice it with them and those types of things. The other thing I wanna say is that like everything else, social skills increase when we find a group of individuals who have similar interests. So I don't know what you're interested in, but if you do have something that you like, I don't care what it is, could be cooking, it could be robotics. It, it really doesn't matter. Something that you are interested in, these days you can go online and you can find others who have the same interest. 
And that is, and make sure you engage with them, get involved with their activities, with clubs, with memberships, online activities. And that is the easiest way to get social skills going. There you go. Since you brought up skills, it's time for my weekly reminder about what skills is offering for free right now for our audience. Uh, I want to remind you, I'm going to give you the phone number now, and then I'm going to give it at the end. So if you have pen and paper ready right now, the phone number is 877-975-4559. But uh, Skills, every week they have something during the pandemic that they're offering to our community here watching the show for free. So this week for ABA parents and guardians, they say they will continue to offer our free IBT parent e-learning course, Parent Getting Started. For the educator community, we will continue to offer our IBT educator e-learning module, Educator Getting Started, available at no charge, all of these are. Uh, and then they will continue to offer their RBT, which is Registered Behavior Technician 2.0 training course, free for the parent audience on a case-by-case -case basis. In addition, we will continue to offer the 10% discount on all skills products for anyone that says that they have come from watching Autism Live when they call the office. Again, the phone number is 877-975-4559. I want to encourage you to call that and say that you saw it on Autism Live and that you're you know, you want the friends and family discount, Shannon's friends and family discount. My family is large. My tribe is large and beautiful. Uh, and I hope that you will check that out. I think that sometimes, as Dr. Grampiche was saying, just reading the lesson, I remember being an adult and for the first time reading the lesson on ending a conversation. And I went, oh my gosh, this is what's been wrong my entire life. I just didn't know this one little piece uh, and I'm still working on it. I'm not great at it, um, but it's helped me tremendously just reading the lesson. So I do want to point out that there is skills and then there is skills living and skills is if anybody is under the age, it's somewhere between 12 and 14. They encourage people to transition over to skills living but as Dr. Grampiche said, there is another um, part of skills where they just pull out those three levels, uh, the cognition, the executive function, and the social skills. So talk with them about that. Tell them what it is that you're looking for and have that conversation with them. I'm sure that they will be happy to steer you in the right direction. And feel free to ask them, what's available to me for free today? Uh, there's no harm in asking, right? That's always a good thing. I also want to acknowledge that Parker said in the community also self-diagnosis is not legitimate. And I just, I want to speak briefly to what you were saying, Dr. Grampiche, that part of the problem right now is that in our quest for awareness of what autism is, many people looked at that and went, oh, I think that's me. And uh, some very notable people saw, have said that, and they've taken a lot of grief for it in public. Uh, I remember when Jerry Seinfeld said, I think I'm a little bit on the spectrum and the world screamed at him for having said that. And he said, I didn't, I didn't mean it the way it sounded, but um, it is now as much as I love that Amy Schumer was so 
fabulous and and her husband is so fabulous and that they allowed us to see what it was like as he was getting a diagnosis but there have been many people who are like ooh I, I, I've had every girlfriend I know call me and say, I think that's my husband. <laughs> you know? And while I don't mean to laugh, um, there's a big difference between having an autism spectrum disorder and not noticing when your wife does something. Uh, there's a big difference. So not saying that people shouldn't attempt to get the diagnosis, but there is rampant right now. Um, for many good reasons why people are saying that they have a diagnosis, which then yeah. waters it down for the people who do. And that's yeah. the difficult part. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, um, okay, I want to get to this question. My son is finally starting ABA services again in home since COVID began. He is 12. It's five days a week, two hours per day. He's doing a focused program. He is starting vision therapy next week. Vision therapy wants to work on fixation and convergence. Do you know if there are any programs slash goals I can ask his VCBA for to aid with those vision therapy goals? Yeah, I mean, okay, so of course there are. And in fact, if you look in our skills curriculum, again, in the motor section and you're looking at you will be looking at skills developing uh which is that what it's called these days the younger skills, living. skills oh oh no no no. Uh, no i think it I, isn't it just called skills regular I, I, well skills for the younger population even though he's 12 you should look at the skills for childhood that one has uh, a section called motor and in the motor section there's a section called visual motor and in there you will find activities for convergence well, we call it bipolarity um, but there's a lot of stuff in there that will be very useful to you now having said that he's only receiving a total of 10 hours a week of aba if they are working, if the vision therapists are going to be working on fixation and convergence, great. You should have your ABA team working on other stuff because I'm sure there are other things that are in, that he needs as well. And you might ask yourself, what are those other things? So the way that skills works is you start with an assessment. You start with a questionnaire. We call it the skills index. It it is online, you will be asked lots and lots and lots of questions. Um, and those questions help identify all the areas that he is below his own age. So I think that's something that parents find very interesting as well. I remember when my kids were uh, just born, I loved the, you know, those books, um, what to expect in the first year, what to expect, all that. And those books, <clears throat> the section that I really liked, Shannon, was like they had a little chart that would just say, these are kind of the, the milestones that you want to make sure are met at this age. And I would always go there and I'd be like, okay, well, she met this or he met this. And, you know, and it was very broad, but nevertheless, it helps me identify if we're falling behind somehow. So I think for parents, it's kind of a, a fun exercise anyway to just go in there and answer those questions. I know it's time consuming and you can actually select by domain. You don't have to answer all the questions. You could just look at language questions or social or play or whatever it is. 
Because what ends up happening is you end up seeing all the different areas that you still need to work on. And, and those are kind of fun. Or you can also see where sometimes our kids are just super advanced in one area or another. So I think it's really good to do that. That'll help you identify things that your child needs to work on. And then you should have your ABA team working on those so that you have a little bit of a broader program. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to check. I, I, I don't know if it's this mom. I know there have been a couple of times that I've sent. Uh, there's something called an iPort um, that is a way that you can be, because a lot of times when you're doing visual therapy, they'll they'll ask you to come to the office and that's really hard in COVID. Um, and sometimes you just live far away. When we were doing visual therapy, we couldn't get to the office. And so we had the choice of purchasing something called an iPort. They stopped making them for about five years. They're making them again and they're a little bit less expensive than they were before. So if you're looking for visual therapy, um, it does like a hundred different exercises and it's kind of cool. It looks like a Star Wars thing. And, and you put on these glasses that look like they're 3D glasses and then you have to flip them around and do them the other way. Um, you know, it was, it was tough to get my son to do them until we had a reward system for it. But once we had a reward system, he was happy to do it. And it really, really helped him good. I did send the iPort to you before. Wonderful. Um, but I, but we also use the lessons in, um, skills as well. So, um, but I love that you suggested doing the visual therapy when you're doing the visual therapy and working on all the other stuff with your therapist, because 10 hours, 10 hours is just, yeah, it's not that much. So I also also want to say, Shannon, that the, there's the, the vast majority of uh, like games, online gaming and so on still also work on visual skills. But oh, you need to do, yeah, like convergence, for instance, you know, being able to focus both eyes on, on uh, one stimulus. Um, there are, once you get into visual therapy or even look on skills and they give you a bunch of activities, you'll see the type of thing you're doing like the type of exercise that is done for that. And then you can go to games, just like online games, um, like PS or Xbox or whatever, and see what types of things use produce the same result. Like there are games that are also going to be working on things like conversions, tracking, bipolarity, et cetera. And so you can, that's another way to get your child to improve with visual skills. I, I would be willing to bet, especially all that, um, what do you call it? The VR stuff. Uh, it's a, yep. it's a very interesting thing. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, we also had somebody write in about their child who was diagnosed last year at six and they said, I need help. Maybe a list of things to do to help her and help myself. I'm at my wits end when she has her meltdowns, she hits, she screams, throws things. I don't know what I should do. Got her. Okay, so the first, so we're just going to give a kind of a around, you know, like a, a, an overall series of things that you should look into. And the first one, obviously, is ABA. Um, you need to get in touch with an ABA company wherever you are and get a program going immediately. For us at CARD, six is right around the time when we can still get comprehensive programs from payers, payers being your insurance company, 
um, and it is very hard to get 40-hour programs approved once the child is older. It's not an exact cutoff. Every insurance company has their own stuff, but I really do recommend that you try to get your funding going. So you contact your health insurance and you say, I would like an ABA program and they'll tell you what's required. Sometimes some of the payers will require you to get a diagnosis from your physician or a recommendation or referral or a prescription from your physician saying your child needs ABA. Once you get the, that, you then get connected to an ABA organization. Now get going on this fast because it takes a little while to get started. Um, as I said, you have to do these types of assessments like ours at CARD is skills. And you will do that assessment so we can identify like what kinds of strengths your child has and what kinds of areas they need help in. Then the ABA organization um, will get a program going. In the meantime, once you've gotten that started, you can also get together with a physician. Sometimes, I, depending on if your child has dietary issues, uh, gastrointestinal issues, sleep issues, those are types of things that you want to make sure you deal with uh, early on. Because if your child's not sleeping, if your child is uh, has a lot of bloating, is uncomfortable, has constipation, all these types of things, you'd be surprised what a significant effect all of that has on your child's ability to learn. So make sure you're dealing with all of that kind of stuff. If you want help figuring out what, where to find a physician um, online, there's an organization called MedMaps, and they have listed physicians all over the country who are kind of trained in a more uh, holistic type of intervention, more uh, many of those folks are, are kind of naturopaths or homeopaths, but then there's also just Western medicine physicians on there and there, but they are all looking to boost your child's immune system. They're all working to try to reduce toxins from uh, your child's life. And by that means making your child healthier so that he or she can learn faster. So I think the, the two main things are make sure your child's biology is sort of stabilized. Uh, so the child's healthy and able to learn very fast. And then you look at uh, ABA. Now, if your child has a lot of gastrointestinal inflammation, your physician will tell you that. And then you'll need to also get involved with a dietitian or nutritionist who can help you select the right foods. Um, on the other side, if your child has uh, problems picking up speech, you might need speech therapy as well. Uh, and finally, if your child has issues with either gross or fine motor uh, skills uh, or proprioceptive skills, like you might need a little bit of occupational therapy. That's the, that's the full array. So we're talking, generally speaking, most people, a lot of people, have a very intensive ABA program. They have a physician who can monitor the child. They might have a dietitian or nutritionist, and they might also have speech or occupational therapy. And that's pretty much it, I think, right, Shannon? Yeah, can we talk for just a second about the, the hours? Because uh, not only is this, uh, you know, it's come up with this parent's question, 
but also the parent that was asking about the 12 year old getting two hours a day. She wrote back and she said, he's 12. I thought that at this age, two hours a day was a good amount. He's also homeschooled for two hours a day. And I think, you know, there's nobody better than you to talk about what can be accomplished in what amount of time. Yeah. So, you know, we, I, I just, I'll go back and say that in 19, this will show how old I am. Um, in 1984, we published a paper at UCLA, which was the uh, original paper that changed the world of ABA. And that's really important because that is that paper was the reason is the seminal study still to this day in the field of behavioral medicine and it has to do with uh what we did is we were for many years from like the late 70s to the early 80s we were kind of working with patients with individuals who have the diagnosis of autism and let me tell you it was uh, pretty severe in some cases because this was before deinstitutionalization and so we were working with children who had been placed in Camarillo State Hospital, and that was very severe. So when we, what we did was we, would, uh, we had a group of children at, who were able to come to UCLA, right? So they were close enough where our students, we used our students at UCLA and we trained them um, to do therapy, just like right now ABA organizations train their behavior technicians. And so these students would work with the children. And if you were really close to UCLA, you'd get a lot of hours because these therapists, these students would come to your house. You could also come to UCLA and you'd get tons of therapy. If you were living far from UCLA, you'd get less therapy because we didn't have students who would be able to drive all the way down to let's say, you know, hours away from UCLA. So naturally this ended up producing for us two groups of children. And we made sure that the groups are equal in their IQ and their language ability and all of that. And so the children who were closer to UCLA were getting about 40 hours per week of ABA from us. And those who were further out were getting about 10 hours per week of ABA, like the individual who had written in earlier. And these children were all, between, they, were, they had all entered the program around the age of three and a half. And they were all aged between three and a half and six. Okay. And so, and then there was a third group of children that we also measured who were kids who were same age, same functioning level, but they were on the other side of UCLA was an area called Neuropsychiatric Institute. Now it's called SEML. And they used to do other types of interventions. And those kids were getting 10 hours of other types of interventions. So what we did is after about two and a half years, uh, we looked back and of the group who had received 40 hours per week for two and a half years, half of those children had attained normal IQ and they were now in first grade and they were functioning extremely well alone without an aid in first grade. So for all practical purposes, and as independent psychiatrists removed their diagnosis of autism, half of those kids. So actually to be accurate, 47%. Of the other two groups who had received 10 hours, only one child made it and that was 2%. 
So it was 47% of, of the ones who received intensive therapy, 2% of the ones who received 10 hours. So that's where it becomes very obvious. That was the first study that pointed to hours intensity being the key uh, point in ABA. Uh, we call it now dosage, right? So if I recommend for your child, let's say 20 milligrams of a medication, but you only give them two milligrams, what kind of result are you going to get? Just think of it that way. Are you going to get the result that is expected from that medication? Same thing with ABA. If I recommend 10 hours, 15, 20, 30 hours, and you only give them two hours, it's just not going to work. And the more needs the child has, the higher the intensity should be. Now, the problem is funding for intensive therapy cuts out around the age six to eight. A lot of the payers don't really want to fund a child who's, let's say, starting at age eight for 40 hours. Why? Because from their perspective, it's virtually impossible to teach all the things that you need to teach to an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old. And it's probably pretty close to being accurate, to be honest with you. But it's a different thing when you're working with a three or four or five-year-old because you still have enough time to teach all the things you need to change behavior. But that being said, I think another parent had written in that they're doing what's called a focused program. Focused programs can go on forever, even in adulthood, and they are very, very effective. What a focused program is, is that we're not working on every area we're working on a focus we have on a particular area like social skills or language or vocational or severe challenging behaviors whatever it is we're focusing on just that one thing so i hope i don't know if that's what you meant me to go through Shannon, yeah but. i mean i always appreciate that but i also think too that you talked about this a couple of weeks ago in a way that i think lit up a lot of people's brains and they were like oh okay i got it that somebody was saying, well, I need for my, what I want my child to do, we need to work on toilet training and we're having tantrums and we need to build speech and we're doing 12 hours a week. And you were saying, I don't have enough hours to get all that done. We're going to have yeah. to pick two of those things and we're not, and it's going to take us six months to do this as opposed to two. And people were like, what? Yeah. And everybody went, like, it takes a certain number of hours to toilet train. It takes a certain number of hours weekly to work yeah. on speech. And and you kind of went through this thing and said, if I have 40 hours, I can work on it all. If I have 30 yeah. hours, I can work on these things. If I have right. 20 hours, I just like for people to think of it that way. If I only have 10 hours, I can only accomplish a certain amount. And that might be okay. And that amount has a lot to do with the child's functioning level as well, which is why it's really hard for us to write a prescription and say every child needs X amount. Because if your child is learning extremely fast, then if, and I have 40 hours, I might only need that. For, I mean, I have literally, let's be honest, I have recovered children in 18 months because the child was just a really rapid learner and we figured out what the child needed in order to be fully attentive and aware and so on and learn fast, okay? On the other hand, I've also recovered individuals, but it took 10 years. So, you know, it, it just has to do with how fast the individual is learning and 
how many things they still need to master. It's really that simple. So you start with the assessments that I mentioned and you see all the areas that you need to work on. And each of those areas uh, will take some time and that has to do with your child's ability. And, uh, you know, so when I have a 40 hour program, I could probably focus on about average of about 20 lessons at any given time. But if I have a 10 hour program, I'm probably going to only focus on about seven or eight lessons. So that's the issue. And, and you need to be that your BCBA, your board certified behavior analyst should be able to help you with that. Okay. I want to get to a question and it's coming from Canada. And I also want to mention to you, Dr. Grampichet, that during the break, we had many people write in from Canada and ask if you would be willing to go and talk to the prime minister in Canada, because the state of ABA in Canada is dire. Yeah. And there are many things that we love about Canada and Canada seems to have figured it out, but ABA is not, does not appear to be one of them. So if we can, if we can get you over there to talk to the very handsome prime minister, I would be very happy um, if we could make that happen. And so a lot of other I mean, let me just address that as well. In fact, I do go to Canada pretty frequently because my husband is Canadian. So I go to the Toronto area uh, pretty frequently. In fact, I've even been there during COVID. I'm going back there in March. So I would be delighted to talk to whoever to help get ABA in Canada. I also know, like I've also given a lot of speeches in Canada for different organizations and I pretty much know uh, Autism Canada and all the different organizations that provide um, uh, ABA or, or, or talk about ABA. So I, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Um, I agree with you, the, the medicine, the medical situation in Canada with health insurance doesn't really help. There is some funding, but the wait lists for it are so long in Canada that you basically, uh, your child misses the, the window of opportunity. So uh, yeah, please, uh, anytime anybody wants to get connect, get me connected with uh, the powers that may be, whether it's the prime minister or whoever else, I'm happy to, to help. Okay. They've written in and said, and they, they would like for you to meet their son. Uh, they've got a four-year-old with severe and uh, uh, receptive speech delay, yeah. struggling, struggling to follow directions and putting objects, they say on mouth, but I wonder if that is in mouth, because I think that's slightly different, and how to help. Thank you. Yeah, um, and they are in Toronto. So the next time you go, I think they would like to meet up with you. But uh, but can you tell us since you're right there? Do you mean on mouth or in mouth? Because that to me that's vastly different. Do you disagree, Dr. Grampuche? Yeah, it is very different. Um, so if you could just clarify that for us. But any help, obviously, yeah. I mean, before I, that they start ABA. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be happy to see your child. I. Don't know if I'm going to Toronto this trip. I go to Cambridge, just so you know. You, you probably know where that is, uh, being a Canadian from Ontario. Um, and I would love, I'd be happy to see your child. Um, and see, so yeah, so they're writing in in mouth, also bites on wrists. Yeah, there's a, I have to follow up with some folks that I know in uh, the Toronto area who were developing schools and see, and it's on my list to do, uh, see what they've managed to accomplish. I don't know if anybody's managed to do much in, in the past year, but I definitely will follow up with them. 
But in the meantime, for her, what do you have any advice for some for a child who is putting things in mouth because that gets very scary, yeah. um, bite, biting the wrists? Yeah, for sure. So you know there are first of all, let me just say there are behavior analysts uh, in that area, especially in Toronto. Um, and uh, I wonder if we can do everything we can to try to connect you to some of them. Uh, because this type of behavior, what you have to do is first you have to uh, find, first of all, you have to, with any behavior, you have to identify the function first. So, and that means what is causing this? Why is the child doing this? And here you've listed two different behaviors, biting on wrists and putting objects in mouth. Now, putting objects in mouth, if they're on it, if they're things that are not usually not food, that in this and depending on whether or not the child swallows them, this would be referred to as pica. And yes, it can be very dangerous. But for either of those, either one of those behaviors, you start with figuring out when it happens, under what circumstances it happens, what type of stimulus, let's say they put in the mouth, do they swallow it? And last but not least, what do I do? What usually do people do when this behavior happens? So it's like antecedents, define the behavior and what are the consequences? And all of this stuff exists on skills in a section called CIFA, which stands for Card Indirect Functional Assessment. And that is, they ask you a lot of questions there online about the behavior. And then depending on your answers, it will connect you to a section called BIP Builder, which means Behavior Intervention Plan Builder. And that will tell you exactly what to do for that specific behavior based on the function. So it would, I can't tell you what to do today because I don't know the function of these behaviors. Uh, you need to, you, it's possible that the child needs vitamins or zinc and that a lot of kids do that when they have pica, but it is also a behavior. It is also a behavior that has uh, become a habit. So we need to deal with it in a functional way. So please, the first thing you can do is go online, get on the skills website, answer the CIFA and get the VIP, get the behavior intervention plan, and then try to get people who are trained in ABA to implement that plan. Um, I'd say probably, I wanna say 70% of my kids who put thing, objects in their mouth, it has nothing to do with vitamins at all or deficiency, at least 70% of them. So, uh, and also biting on wrists. Very frequently, something like biting on wrist ends up being a frustration thing that the child does that freaks out the parent and the parent backs off. And so it becomes an effective way of getting the parent to back off. On the other hand, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. We need to find out the function and then treat the behavior according to the function. So, it's, so I can't give you feedback until I know exactly why it's happening. Yeah, and just I want to point out the other part of it too that we always miss as parents is that it is happening for a reason. Yeah. Um, and so when Dr. Grampuche is talking about finding out what the reason is, and then we have to make sure that whatever need it is that was being met by the biting, they can get met in another way. That's the part parents always leave out. Yes. Um, is that it, it's it's a it's a vital need that's being met by them doing this. 
And we're not just trying to take that away. We're trying to find something that's functional to replace it with. So if he's biting a wrist because he wants to get out of something, we want to teach him the way to say, I need a break. I'd like to wait. I'm nervous. Whatever it is that he needs to convey. It isn't just take it away. Because a lot of times parents just miss that part of it. That's right. Uh, and and it and I see the parent wrote saying that yes, I think he is frustrated because he's not verbal. If he's if that's the case, you need to get him on a picture exchange communication system like PEX, so that his frustration goes down because he can now communicate. Communication is super important for our kids. Okay. And unfortunately, we're out of time. Just as somebody wrote in and said their child is obsessed with animals and how do you deal with obsessions? And I would love to talk about that for an hour because that seems like a really great thing to be obsessed about. Um, and, and I, and I want to remind everybody that the road, the, the line between obsession and passion for something that will be a lifelong thing is very slim. And that if we can direct things, um, like there are, like we have kids who are obsessed with slamming doors. Now it's going to, I'm not saying that there's no job that you could get that where that would be involved, but it's harder. Um, but having an obsession with animals, like, man, my head goes right to career, career, career. Um, and, and we can talk more about obsessions and passions next show, Shannon, as well. Great. That would be great. Uh, we did have somebody write in about uh, looking for a job and help with looking for a job in the Valley. I just want to point out that tomorrow on the show, we have self-advocate Jordan Kamnitzer and his girlfriend, Tony Kent. They are both self-advocates and they have been dealing with the employment piece. Jordan has been in a job for over 30 years, but is unemployed in COVID. And we're going to be talking about precisely that topic with him and Tony tomorrow. So you'll want to tune in for that. Dr. Grampiche, I know you got to go, but we just adore you. It's so lovely to have you back here in this new year. Thank you so much. Uh, Everybody else, we'll see you back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.